The Married Entrepreneurs Podcast is part of the Practice of the Practice Network, a network of podcasts seeking to help you market and grow your business and yourself. To hear other podcasts like Bomb Mom and Grow a Group Practice, go to www.practiceofthepractice.com slash network. Welcome to the Married Entrepreneurs Podcast. This is Ron Lee. And I am Lexi Lee. We are professional counselors and serial entrepreneurs who are married to each other. Thank you for joining us as we explore the business of life and the life of business. Today we have David Barnett, who says he it took him 10 years to unlearn what he was taught in business school. University had trained him to be a middle manager in big enterprises. He was totally unprepared for the realities of small business. After a career in advertising sales, Barnett started several businesses, including a commercial debt brokerage house, hoping to finance small and medium-sized businesses, led to the field of business brokerage. Over several years, he sold dozens of businesses for others while also managing his own portfolio of income properties and starting his career as a local private investor. Welcome, David. Hey, Lexi. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me on. I'm great and so glad to have you. So, Tell us a little bit more than what that bio said about you. Yeah, sure. So, you know, you, you kind of got up to the point where I got into business brokerage. What uh, When I was doing that finance brokerage, what happened is we ran into that uh, big financial crisis of 08, 09. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of the companies that I was using as sources of capital for small businesses uh, went under. Uh, if you recall in the news, they were talking about this this asset-backed commercial paper that went bad. Well, I was one of the people creating the loans that became a part of the asset-backed commercial paper. And so when when people didn't want to buy that paper or those, those bonds, uh, which were a small sliver of a big pool of loans, for example, the businesses, when people didn't want to buy those anymore, it meant that the companies that were providing money to my clients didn't have access to money. And so they went under and, and I realized, hey, I need to make a pivot. That's what got me into business brokerage. And the reason I got into business brokerage was simply because I had seen so many deals being done poorly uh, by people who really didn't know what they were doing. And I saw people you know, in some bad circumstances, losing deposits and not having deals come together the way they should have or not having their interests properly represented. And I thought, here's an opportunity for me to get into an area that I know is underserved here where I live. So I I got into business brokerage and in a three year period, I did 36 deals. I helped buy and sell 36 other businesses for my clients. And it was very exciting and very interesting. And also one of the worst and craziest businesses I've ever been involved in. And the reason why I say that is because business brokers typically get paid when a business is sold. And sometimes it can take two, three years to do a deal and you can have all of the expenses of a business, advertising. I had a receptionist up front who was helping me, you know, with administrative tasks. And I was, you know, I had all these bills, phone bills, my, my bills at home. And you can imagine if you only get paid when a deal closes, then if it's not regular, then it creates all kinds of stress. And, and for anyone who's ever seen my photo, the sides of my head are gray. And I always tell people that I got my gray hair during this period of my life because in those three years, even though I sold 36 businesses, there were three periods of at least seven or eight months each where I didn't have a closing. 
which meant I had to get across a seven or eight month gap of time with no substantial revenue coming in. And at the end of the three years, I had two young children. I couldn't even make a household budget that would allow me to make a plan for the future. And I just said, this is crazy. I got to get out of this. So I left business brokerage and I became a banker. And it was funny, um, the first couple months when I got a paycheck, you know, every second Friday, I was so guilty getting that money, Lexi, because I was like, I didn't slay a dragon. I didn't overcome some enormous obstacle. I just, I showed up every day and I got this check. Like it didn't seem fair to my employer, right? I I felt kind of guilty, but eventually I got used to it. Um, And over the four years that I was a banker, every once in a while, my phone would ring and it would be somebody who had been given my name and, uh, you know, someone looking for help to buy or sell a business. And at first I would say to people, you know, I don't do that anymore. And then after a while, um, I started to hear from people that I had helped with my business brokerage. And they're like, Dave, you know, we need help. We need someone who can help us handle, you know, stick handle our way through this negotiation or this deal. And there was no conflict with my employment. So I said, you know, I can help you, but it's got to be after hours. I have a full-time job. And I started a little side hustle and eventually the bank reorganized and I had an opportunity to leave. And I realized, hey, I can get back into this with a very different kind of business model. And so I started to become a private transaction advisor and I would work with people on a consulting basis and I would help buyers analyze deals and help them put together offers. And I would also work with sellers and I would help them figure out what their business was worth and how to best present it for people that might want to buy it and how to advertise it confidentially um, and, and how to manage and talk with people that would come along and want to make offers on their business. So today, that's what I do. I, I still work with buyers and sellers, help them go through this process of doing a transaction. And it's grown a little bit to help people prepare for these transactions and to help people who are transitioning into one of these businesses get settled settled a little better. And um, I'm on YouTube and I've written different books on these topics. And you know, the big change for me, of course, is that instead of having to slay a dragon, you know, every once in a while to to get one of these commission checks, I'm doing a little bit of work for a lot of people every week and submitting invoices to them. And so my cash flow has smoothed out tremendously and it's removed a lot of that stress. And, you know, this is probably a lie, but since that time, I haven't had any more gray hair. So (laughs) I'm, I'm sure if you looked at a photo, you'd say that's not true. So David, what I've heard is that one, you've gotten really good at being able to pivot. Yep. The second thing in your story is that you were able to figure out how to go from one to one to one to many so that it helped that cash flow. Um, in thinking about our listener, a lot of them you know, are beginning to realize that this business that they've started, you know, it would be nice to think that oh, our kids are going to take over someday when in reality that very rarely happens. So eventually at some point we may have to look at selling the business. Mm -hmm. And so what advice would you have for someone who, you know, they're not planning on selling now, it will be years down the line, but they are thinking in terms of, okay, how can I make sure that this is a business that is sellable? Okay. So the, the very first thing is that you have to start to think about your business like an asset that you own. And this is difficult for 90% of small business owners because 
The person who owns a roofing business thinks of themselves often as a roofer. They think of themselves in the role of what they do and what their business does. They don't think of themselves as a business owner and that the business is some kind of thing separate from themselves. And, and this people get into all kinds of trouble because they don't differentiate between themselves and the business. If you've ever heard of somebody who their business went under and they ended up declaring bankruptcy and they lost you know their home and all that kind of stuff. Well, that usually happens because things go wrong in the business. And instead of objectively looking at the performance of the business and the prospects of the business, people identify as the owner and they think, if I don't make this work, people are going to think I'm a failure, right? And that's when people start to borrow against their house and put their retirement savings into the business, trying to make things go, hoping that it's going to turn around, right? And not realizing, you know, the the actual proper decision to make as a business owner is to realize, hey, maybe something has changed competitively or the market has changed or some other aspect has changed. And maybe it's not good to be in this business anymore. And maybe we should get out of it and do something else. That, that's what an investor does. That's what the kind of decision-making an investor makes. So you have to think about your business as being separate from you, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to think, what goes on in this business? What are the systems? Because everything that happens in every business is a system. Where is the system though? And for most small business owners, it's in their head. And they get into their business every day and they're running certain aspects of the business. And maybe they've delegated certain things to employees who handle those things pretty well. But without having a operations manual, some kind of documented methodology for executing what you do every day, it's going to be very difficult to get someone else to do it. And here's here's the key. Lexi, there are, are five reasons why businesses go up for sale. The number one is burnout, fatigue, and boredom. It's the most common reason. And then there's divorce, poor health, the need to relocate, and retirement. So of those five, if you think about them, only one is planned for. The other four happen to you. Life, you know, what they say, life happens, right? And so I get contacted a lot by people who say, this has happened. I need to sell my business. And they believe that their desire or their decision to sell is what is required to sell the business. And it's not. That's not at all what's required to sell the business. What's required to sell a business is have a business that's sellable. And that can take time. And so I'll give you an example, that roofer I mentioned, right? So you could be a roofing contractor and have a couple crews of people and you're meeting homeowners and you're doing measurements and you're preparing quotes and you know, you're organizing your workers and the suppliers to deliver material. And then you go out and visit the sites and you're supervising it. And you're making sure it's done well. And then you send the invoice to the customer and you collect. So you're doing all those things. If you don't have properly documented systems, there's only one kind of person who can buy your business. It's somebody who knows the roofing trade who happens to be younger than you. And so, so that's a small pool of buyers, right? Yeah. Whereas if you operate that business and you have a completely documented process, this is how I do estimations. These are the measurements we take. Here's a form or an app that I use that I put the measurements into. This then you know, goes into an Excel spreadsheet, which calculates the area and the amount of material required. 
you know, then I can put in the pricing from the, from the billing supply company and it can give me my costs and my labor estimates. Now I apply my margin and this is how I get my quote, right? So if you've got all this stuff broken down and all these systems in place, you can teach anyone to run the roofing business. And so what you've now done is you've expanded the pool of potential buyers from people who know roofing to anyone who can operate a system. And, you know, there's a famous book from Michael Gerber, The E-Myth, right, where he talks about this. This is why people get into franchises. This is why people who have experience working in the government or as a school teacher will buy a franchise in a completely different field because they get taught how to run the business by the franchisor. You can do the same thing in any independent business. It just takes a willingness to invest some time today to put those systems in place so that you will be able to then remove yourself. Here's Once you've got this done properly, here's the, some of the amazing things that you can do. Number one, exiting the business may not mean selling it. Like remember those five things I mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. One of those things could happen to you and you might decide, you know what, I'm going to move to Florida. Maybe you're in Ohio, right? Running this roofing business. Well, if you've got everything systematized and documented and all the process put it, put it into place, you could hire someone and teach them how to do that. And then you could move to Florida and you could have a couple meetings a week over the phone or Zoom with that person. And you could still be doing the payroll and managing payables and paying bills and stuff from Florida. Someone else could be going out and doing the quotes, managing the crews and everything. And you could run that business having reduced your investment to a few hours a week from a different place, right? If you don't have it organized, you can't do that. And so working on your business and getting into a state where it's an asset means that you open the doors to a lot more different opportunities for exiting, whether that means simply not being there anymore. Um, And I know we're going to talk about married couples and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but this whole idea of documenting and getting things in order and organizing is really the key to being able to sell. Um, you know, when, when people come in on the scene and they find a business that is making money and it's a hot mess, like nothing's organized, savvy business buyers who understand how to implement processes and procedures might look at that as an opportunity, but it's an opportunity for them to buy your mess at a low price so that they can do the work I'm describing to you. If you invest the time and do the work in advance of putting it on the market, it means that someone else is going to be able to say, oh, I don't have to do as much. You're going to widen that pool of potential buyers. And as I mentioned, a properly organized business is going to be easier to manage, number one. In almost every case, it becomes more profitable. Because in going through the process of setting up your systems and analyzing what's going on in your business, you find bottlenecks, you find uh, underutilized resources, you you realize that someone has talent or skills that are being, you know, not fully used in your business or, or that you're asking someone to do something that they're really not well suited for, right? So you can change how things are going when you analyze it, when you're working on it. And when the business is in a state of being sellable, that's when you can sell it quickly if anything ever happens. So even though people may be thinking that they want to sell their business a few years down the road, there's only two times to plant a tree. You know that famous quote, today mm-hmm. or 20 years ago? Right. If you don't put the work into the business today and get it organized, it means that you're going to be um, 
in a panicked mode with some pressing personal reason causing you to need to get out of the business, you're not going to have the time or ability to fix it at that point in the future. This is something that needs to be addressed today. Well, and I also think that if you're doing this, it will take away the burnout, which is the number one reason that you listed, right? Mm -hmm. And so even if you're not planning on selling, burnout's coming for everybody that's not planning, right? So being able to put this into place can help to like lessen that burnout or even taking it off the table. One of the, um, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the world of helping people buy and sell businesses. And I explained that some of the things I do have grown beyond that. So back when I was a business broker, I read that e-myth book by Michael Gerber. And I thought, Ooh, I've got some clients that really should be implementing this stuff. And so I made a huge mistake. I bought copies of it and I gave it to people. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what happened. Uh, nothing. Right. So you, you give the book to someone and you're like, read, I said, read this. It's going to show you how to create some systems. It's going to be easier for me, easier for me to sell your business. People didn't do anything. Right. And then I thought, okay, maybe I can um, help people in a different way. So how do I do this? And I thought, oh, I know I'll, I'll just do what Gerber said. I'll create a system. So I sat down and I thought, how can I create a system for systematizing businesses that are already running. It it eventually became the basis of a program I offer today called Build a Business That People Will Want to Buy. And we, we go through and we create a plan for the business and we create an org chart and we create a vision, targets, et cetera. We start to build all the task lists, everything. It's And it's done step-by-step in bite-sized pieces that are easy for people to accommodate. So I built this program, Lexi, and... Um, I started to bring certain clients through it who wanted to sell. And then the worst thing that can ever happen for a broker happened. <laughs> as the businesses became more organized and as they became easier to manage, people changed their mind. They said, you know what? I'm not sure if I want to sell this now. Because they started to actually get an experience that they envisioned when they before when they started the business. They thought how it was going to be. They actually started to get a glimpse of that future and they started to live that life where they weren't stressed all the time and they were able to go home and have dinner with their family every night. And the employees were doing things that they were supposed to be doing and then they didn't want to sell. And I was like, geez, that's awful. You know, now, now I've, I've lost a listing kind of thing. And so it, to your point though, it, it creates the opportunity for somebody to be able to go and do other things, to expand their business through acquiring other companies. So again, the roofer, if the roofer put all that effort into, into fixing up their business and having all these systems put into place, well, now you want to grow the business bigger, let's say. And let's say you're in a competitive marketplace and it's really hard to gain market share from your competitors because they're, they're good at their business too, right? So what's another way that we could grow? Well, Maybe we acquire another roofer in the next state or the next county over, right? So you go and you buy this other business and he's not organized, but it's okay because you know how to organize a roofing business. So you implement your systems in that guy's business, right? And then you get a manager over there. And now guess what? Even if you don't grow the revenue, even if both businesses stay the same, you're now increasing your purchase volume maybe that means you get like 2% better pricing at the building supply company. 
So now both businesses are performing better because you've changed the scale of your business and you've already got the roadmap and the plan and the systems in place to run that other business in the neighboring county because of the systems you built in your own business. And it allows you to start growing and expanding. And it ties in with some of the biggest problems that I find when you have partnerships or, and I know your audience is married couples, uh, partners are married couples. Because one of the reasons people get into business with partners is they think, I'm not going to have to do this alone. I'm going to have someone else who can help me out. Now, here's the problem with that. If you're not properly organized, it means that everything starts to become a decision by committee. And so now instead of one person making a decision, you're always waiting and waiting for time to meet that other person so you can discuss things together, right? And what that means is decisions get delayed and it takes longer. And now you have double the human resource expense for every kind of administrative decision being made, right? So the business actually becomes less efficient. What I teach in that program um, is that you want to create a, 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 we start by creating a sketch of what the business looks like in the future. So the, the desired future state, then we create an org chart for that future business, which is bigger than the business you have today. We then outline all the different roles that are in that company in the future. And then we figure out what tasks need to be done in the different roles. And then we assign them. So if you can imagine a business that has 25 roles that my own business is me and my assistant. Okay. So there mm-hmm. are two of us and I also have a couple of subcontractors that do different things. Okay. So there are four bodies in my business, but my org chart has 22 roles. So these are different roles that people are doing. It's just that there are only four names in all of these boxes. Okay. And right. so, um, and so, Um, when you are organizing with your spouse or any other partner, right, you create your org chart, you create the different roles, the duties and responsibilities, and then you assign them. So one person is going to get to be the president, but both people are at the board of directors. If you think about a big company, think about Coca-Cola, the board of directors is meeting every month or every quarter, and they're creating the long-term vision and decisions of the goals of the enterprise. And they tell the president, this is what we want you to do. We want you to get a 3% revenue increase and we want you to cut costs and open a new plant over there, right? And so the president then takes those directions from the board and they make the decisions and they give direction to their vice presidents and whatnot. So you and your spouse, you're on the board together. You're both owners. One of you has to be the president. Together, you decide on your your goals and your long-term vision, but then the person whose name is in the president's box, they are the boss. Now, they're going to then tell the VPs and the managers what to do. And guess what? Some of those VPs and managers are going to be themselves and their spouse. You have to operate within the framework of your business, right? And so it means that if one spouse is the VP of marketing and the VP of marketing is in charge of the marketing budget, that means that they have to make all the decisions about how the marketing money is going to be spent. It doesn't mean when a salesperson calls and says, hey, we've got a deal on radio advertising that you then go running to your other spouse and say, hey, should we take advantage of this radio ad program? No, it's not a committee decision. The person who is the marketing manager is in charge of that budget, is in charge of spending the money. They're the ones who are going to make that decision and be accountable for the outcomes 
that are derived from that decision-making, just like any other big business would function. In this way, we're not bogging everything down with group decisions all the time and wasting a lot of extra time. The worst thing that can happen when you're in this kind of scenario with partners, whether they're married or not, is if things are being discussed all the time and then something goes wrong, well, then the two partners start pointing the finger at each other, either overtly saying, we had a meeting and you said this, or covertly where, you know, nothing is said, but both of them then start to have a little bit of ill will towards the other, where they're saying, you know, I don't feel good about this because I thought we had an understanding and I thought this is what we were doing. Now, all of a sudden it's my fault because something didn't work out the way it was supposed to. Well, if you're the person in charge of marketing and you make a decision that doesn't work out, you know it, you can own it, you know it's your responsibility, you know it didn't work out, and you can deal with it and move on, just like you would in a job if you did something that was wrong, right? And that's the kind of business sophistication and maturity. I use the word maturity because you have to understand that at different points in the day when you're in a small business and at different points through the year, you're going to be wearing different hats. You're going to wear the owner hat at the boardroom meeting. You're going to be wearing the VP hat when you're making decisions. You could be taking direction from your spouse, who is the president, making your own decisions, then informing them of something you want them to do in their role as the installer of the equipment in the case where they report to you, right? And so you've got to be able to know what position am I in right in this moment? What am I acting as right now? And it can be confusing for people. And, and that maturity or that willingness to write it down so you can actually look at it and say, this is what our business looks like and these are the roles I do and this is the decision I have to make this week. Not everyone's able to do it. Well, and it goes back to that mindset shift that you talked about at the beginning, that you have to have that mindset of I'm an owner, I'm not just a roofer, right? Yeah. That I own a own a roofing business. You know, you have given us some great tips today. If our listeners wanted to get more from you, how can they find you? Well, you know, anyone who's interested in learning more about buying, selling, financing, or managing small businesses, um, come and sign up for the podcast or my YouTube channel. Um, I put out a new video every week. I occasionally have guests on that I interview. It's all for free. You can find it all at davidcbarnett.com. And if anyone is out there wondering like how they can get better organized and put these systems in place, that program I mentioned, Build a Business That People Will Want to Buy, you can get to it directly by going to easysmallbizsystems.com. Easysmallbizsystems.com goes directly to that. It's just a couple hundred dollars. There's about half a day's worth of um, videos where I explain the different steps, step-by-step. And then there's all kinds of samples, spreadsheets and documents and workflows and things that I've worked with on with other clients and where you can actually see this is how what it looks like when it's done. This is how it is built step-by-step. And I get people all the time who do the program and they reach back out to me a month or two later and they say, this has changed my life. Um, and it's easy to do and it's not a big investment. It just takes a willingness and a desire to set aside a few hours to work on it. And it pays enormous dividends. What great resources. Again, thank you, David, for spending time with us today and helping our listeners to really think about how to set those systems in place. 
Awesome, Lexi. Thanks for having me today. It's been a great time. Thank you for listening. Time is our most valuable resource, and we appreciate that you shared your time listening to us. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us or give us a review, and you can share this episode with someone that you think may benefit. You can find more from us at MarriedEntrepreneursPodcast.com. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.